Hey there, history fans. And welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast, where we cover a variety of historical topics from the Stone Age to the modern age. I'm Lauren. I'm Melissa. And on today's episode, we are continuing our Wars of the Roses series, and it's all about the Tudors today. Ooh. So we're talking, I mean, you can't go wrong. Henry, Elizabeth, Mary, right? No. Wrong <clears throat> You're talking about their grandfather, though, because we got a lot to cover. Let's get it started. It is possible to trace the Tudor's family back to the 1200s, but we don't really begin to hear about them until Owen Tudor. Owen was a Welshman who was actually under the service of two Lancastrian kings, both oddly named Henry. I know, it's Henry V and Henry VI. During the Wars of the Roses, he, of course, sided with the Lancastrians. And he actually ended up getting married to the widow of King Henry V, Catherine of Valois. His son, Edmund, was created the Earl of Richmond by Henry VI. And his daughter-in-law was Margaret Beaufort. Yep, yep, I said that. Beaufort. Margaret Beaufort. Hmm? Beaufort. 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 <laughs> okay, fancy schmancy. <laughs> Just to correct me on every single thing because mispronunciation. I'm sorry. I grew up with hearing it as Beaufort, not Beaufort. But Margaret Beaufort was a great granddaughter of John of Gaunt and the great great granddaughter. Of Edward III. Just a reminder, Edward III is a Plantagenet whom we trace both York and Lancastrian lines to. Owen Tudor did end up losing his head in the Battle of Mortimer's Cross in 1461 when the Yorkists defeated the Lancastrians. Edmund and Margaret had one son and that was Henry Tudor. Henry Tudor is the one that we know to have led an army against the Yorkist King Richard III in 1485 and to have won the Battle of Bosworth Field, the end of the Wars of the Roses. And he ascended to the, cr- the crown. He ascended to the throne and was crowned King Henry VII because there aren't enough Henrys. And he solidified his spot on the throne by marrying Elizabeth of York. Very important. And Elizabeth was the daughter of Edward IV, King Edward IV, and one of the House of York. When Henry VII married Elizabeth of York, it joined the House of Lancaster and House of York together once again, because they were originally all Plantagenets. And therefore, the symbol of the Tudor house became the Tudor rose, which was the white rose of York and the red rose of Lancaster combined into one. They superimposed one on top of the other. It's the white on top of the red. And there we have the general family history. First up, Tudor-wise, we're going to talk about Owen Tudor, or, uh, or uh, according to his Welsh name, Owen Ap Tudor. Yay, Wales. 
and he was born around 1400 to Meredith and Margaret Tudor, and he was born into a, a dynasty within Wales itself that had been actually been around for some time, and they actually claimed to be direct descendants of King Cadron, as well as relatives of the Princess of Dalebarth, which is in South Wales. And he was also related to Owen Glyndwr on his father's side. His family were actually supporters of the rebellion against the English and between 1400 and 1408. Now, Owen is recorded as having been in the service of Sir Walter Hungerford, King Henry V's steward in 1421. And it's likely that from here, he was able to rise up the ladder of the English courts, which put him into the path of Catherine. He actually became a servant within the Queen's chamber in the 1420s and at one point was appointed to the position of keeper of the wardrobe. So this section is kind of a combination of Owen and Catherine, their relationship and their marriage. So Catherine, quick refresher, was the daughter of Charles VI of France, Charles the Mad, if I remember correctly. Uh, and as part of the terms of the Treaty of Troy, which granted Henry V the right to rule over France after the death of Charles, Henry V would marry his daughter, Catherine. And they married in 1420, and Catherine soon gave birth to the future Henry VI. Now, we don't know specifically how the two fell in love, but a, picture, a passage from the book of Nigel Jones may possibly shed some light on this. And the passage goes, quote, Catherine of Valois was left bereft, a lusty young woman in the prime of her life. She did not remain single for long. Owen Tudor, a handsome young Welshman of obscure origins, had become her keeper of the wardrobe. According to the romantic rumor, Owen had caught the queen's notice when he stumbled, incapably drunk, into her lap at a party one night. Intrigued, she spied on him as he swam nude in the local lake and liked what she saw. To also give some sort of background, Catherine was probably in her early 20s by the time her husband died. So she was quite young and had only given birth to the one child that we're aware of. So in relation to their marriage, after the death of Henry IV and during the reign, sorry, after the death of Henry V, Parliament actually forbade Catherine from remarrying without the consent of her son, Henry VI. And now Catherine, the wife and mother of two kings, wasn't going to agree to this. And she and Owen actually secretly wed in the late 1420s and would actually go on to have five children, three sons and two daughters, two of which would be Jasper and Edmund, two names that will definitely come up later. The marriage was actually kept a secret until it became public knowledge in 1436. Now, they say kept secret. They got married in, say, like 1428-ish, which is the, the general date. And not too long after, she had their first child. Well, she's Queen Dowager, so it'd be kind of hard for them to keep a pregnancy secret, especially when she's not supposed to be married. So it was probably well known within certain circles, but not publicly known as in throughout the kingdom. Now this didn't sit well with parliament, however, when they found out that she and Owen had married and married some, some years before, of course. And it also didn't sit well with Humphrey, the Duke of Gloucester, 
uncle to Henry VI, who was serving as regent. Catherine was then sent to Bermondsey Abbey, where she died the following year. And Owen was sent to Newgate Prison, but he was able to escape, went into hiding in Wales. And it was actually here he was able to raise an army in support of Henry VI, and who had him pardoned for his support in 1438 after Henry uh, gained the throne. And by all accounts, Henry VI was actually quite generous to his stepbrothers and stepfather. So we're talking Owen, Jasper, and Edmund. And Henry VI even gave him an annuity and made him a member of his household. He even made him keeper of the parks in Denby in 1460. Owen Tudor was later captured by the Yorkists, though, who beheaded him after the Battle of Mortimer's was crossed in 1461, and he was buried in the Church of Greyfires in Herefordshire. Okay, now we're going to go on to his son. So Edmund Tudor was the son of Catherine Valois and Owen Tudor. He was born around 1413. However, we don't have an exact date, according to my sources. At Muchhadham Palace, located in Hertfordshire, or in Hadham in Bedfordshire. Again, we have no concrete evidence. There is a lot of mystery surrounding the begin beginning of Edmund Tudor's life. Not only do we not know his birth date or which city he was born in, we also do not know if his parents had already been married when he was born. We do believe that Edmund was named after Edmund Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset, because he was Edmund's godfather. And again, just a side reminder, Edmund Tudor and his si siblings, his Tudor siblings, under Owen Tudor are half-siblings to King Henry VI. In 1442, after the death of Catherine of Valois, Henry VI really became a part of Edmund's life. Edmund was knighted by Henry, and he, along with his brother Jasper, became earls. In the case of Edmund Tudor, he became the Earl of Richmond. In 1453, Edmund became the guardian of Lady Margaret Beaufort. And again, her line comes from Edward III's son, John of Gaunt, and his affair with Catherine Swinford. Edmund did marry Lady Margaret Beaufort on November 1st, 1455. And shortly after their marriage, Edmund was captured by a Yorkist named William Herbert. Upon his capture, he was placed in prison at Carmarthen Castle in Wales, which is where Edmund would die due to the bubonic plague. He caught the Black Death. He was laid to rest at Carmarthen Greyfriars, and then he was moved in 1539 to St. David's Cathedral. At the time of his death, Lady Margaret was pregnant with a son who would be named Henry Tudor. And now I'm going to talk about Margaret because she's a key essential player in the Tudor dynasty. I see you have a question on your face, what? Um, no, I'll wait till the end. It was more of a, a, a sort of a comparison point, but it doesn't make sense to mention it if we don't have details. Oh, okay. 
Well, we'll see if I have those details, won't we? So Margaret Beaufort was the daughter of John Beaufort and Margaret Beauchamp, born on May 31st, 1443. Any corrections to be made on my pronunciations? No. Good. <laughs> Again, she was a descendant of Edward III through the Beaufort line. Her father died before her first birthday and she became the ward of William de la Pole, the Duke of Suffolk. During this time, the Duke of Suffolk decided that his son and Margaret should get married as Margaret herself was an heiress upon the death of her father. After three years under the Duke of Suffolk, Margaret would become the ward of King Henry VI's family, particularly his half-brothers, Edmund Tudor and Jasper Tudor. With the passing of her wardship, the potential marriage to the Duke of Suffolk's son was annulled and she would actually go on to marry Edmund Tudor. She was 12 when she married Edmund Tudor. Just for some extra context, Margaret is 12 and Edmund is 24 at the time of their marriage. He's twice her age. After their marriage, Edmund was captured by the Yorkists. He did die before he was set free and Margaret was pregnant at the time of his death. Margaret was taken in by her brother-in-law, Jasper Tudor, and went to Pembroke Castle where she would give birth to a son who would be named Henry Tudor. Henry would be the only child that Margaret would bear as his birth took a toll on her. She was 13 years old when she gave birth. Imagine how hard that is in those times especially. It's hard enough to, to imagine it in the day and age of medicine that we have today versus then. It's just horrific. Margaret would go on to marry a Sir Henry Stafford, who was actually one of her second cousins. She would move in with him at Woking Palace. However, she would not take Henry with her. He would stay at Pembroke Castle and be raised by his uncle Jasper. Jasper, however, did not cut her off completely from her son. She and her husband were allowed visitation. And at the same time that this is going on, so is the Wars of the Roses. And at this time, the Lancastrians are losing. King Edward IV also takes the throne of England during this time. And at this time, the lands which were meant to go to her son, Henry, were taken and given to Edward IV's brother, the Duke of Clarence. Henry VI briefly recaptured the throne of England, and then it was very quickly retaken by Edward IV. During this period, Henry Stafford would be killed in battle, so Margaret would once again be a widow. And she feared for the safety of her son, so Margaret actually pleaded for Jasper Tudor to take her nephew, her son and his nephew and run, just go somewhere else, which is exactly what Jasper did. Margaret would not see her son, Henry, for another 14 years after he fled England. That's quite a long time for a mother to be separated from her child. Margaret remarried again. However, it was not out of love or anything like that. She married Thomas, Thomas. She married Thomas Stanley, and this would place her securely in the court of Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville. 
She did this in order to make sure that Henry's future would be secure and he would face normal, no more threats, which she was successful at. She would actually even become the godmother to the daughter of Elizabeth Woodville. After the death of Edward IV and Richard III's usurpation of the throne, when he became king of England, Margaret would go on to serve Anne Neville, the wife and queen of Richard III. While serving Anne, Margaret would ally herself with Elizabeth Woodville, the former queen. And they plotted together to depose Richard III as king and place Henry Tudor on the throne. The uprisings that they organized along with the second Duke of Buckingham would go on to fail and Buckingham would be executed while Margaret was absolutely stripped of everything, her title, her house, all that stuff. She was actually placed under house arrest and she was not allowed to communicate with her son, Henry. In 1485, Henry and Richard would meet in battle, which is the Battle of Bosworth Field. And Richard was killed during this battle and Henry would become King Henry VII. Upon becoming the King of England, Henry appointed his mother as the Countess of Richmond and Derby. And she was also given the title of the Lady of the Order of the Garter. Upon becoming the Queen Mother, she gained much respect and power. And her power was extensive and she was basically ruling as a queen at this time. She played a large part in the royal household and she actually assisted her daughter-in-law, Elizabeth of York, in the raising of her grandchildren. Elizabeth of York passed away in the year 1503. And in order to keep the household running and in the political field, Elizabeth took up the mantle of Elizabeth's place. Even though she was married at the time, Margaret did choose to take a vow of chastity and she actually moved to Colley Weston where her husband would go and visit her. Her son, King Henry VII died before she did and he left her in charge of making sure that his only living son would be crowned king. She did so and her grandson, Henry, became King Henry VIII, yes. Margaret Beaufort is the grandmother of the rather infamous King Henry VIII. And she would also continue to give advice to the new king until her death, which was actually only two months after Henry, her, her son, Henry VII, passed away. Remind you of a little somebody from uh, several centuries earlier in English history? an overbearing ruling mother. <laughs> There's so many of those Let's though. See. Matilda. Oh, that Matilda. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 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 Your turn. Power hungry and wanting her son to rule. And I mean, also you could say she's moving like, um, is it Agrippina for one of the Caesars yeah. for Nero, Nero's mom. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So next up, we are going to talk about Henry VII himself. Now, we're, this isn't going to be a super detailed section on Henry VII because our very last episode in this series is mostly going to cover his life and his reign in much more detail. But some general brief info about the life of Henry VII. He was born on January 28th, 1457 to Edmund and Margaret. And three months before Henry's born, his father died and his mother moved in with her brother-in-law, 
Jasper Tudor, as we mentioned, and Jasper would become a surrogate father for Henry. Very, very, very close family here. Now, although on his mother's side, there was a small claim to the crown, the Beauforts had actually been barred from inheriting under the rule of Henry IV. They were disinherited. But however, by the time he was born, he was actually considered to be the second in line to the throne on the Lancastrian side. And this actually allowed him some comfort to royalty and he was given a very well-bred education. Unfortunately, this would be consistently interrupted due to the ongoing war on both sides. Throughout much of his childhood, we, he would actually be moved around the country, mostly for his safety, but also depending on who was on the throne at the time, was it Edward or Henry? The Lancastrians were winning, the Yorkists were winning. We've got to take the air somewhere safe. Now, when Edward IV took over, again, the Yorks, and he stripped Henry Tudor of all of his lands and gave them to his brother, George, the Duke of Clarence. And at this time, his uncle Jasper actually fled to France for safety. Henry was actually then placed under the care of loyal Yorkists, Sir William Herbert for the following eight years. Herbert, by all accounts, actually took very good care of Henry. Herbert had actually acquired Pembroke Castle from Edward, which was Henry's uh, home that he'd been living in for most of his life, which actually allowed Henry to remain in his childhood home. Herbert also bought his family to live with him, and this actually gave Henry kids his own age to actually play with, because he was also an only child. And things would stay somewhat well for Henry Tudor up until about 1469. By this time, Earl of Warwick had actually began rebelling against his old time friend, Edward. And Herbert took arms up to fight for Edward. He was actually captured by Warwick and executed. After this upheaval, Henry then went to live with his mother and stepfather. When Henry VI was restored to the throne, in 1470, Jasper Tudor actually returned from exile to fight for the king, was actually given a position in Henry VI court, and was actually able to procure a position for his 13-year-old nephew, who also had his line of succession restored to him. Now, the victory would be short-lived, as Edward would return the following year and depose Henry VI again. And with this second usurpation, Margaret Beaufort urged her 14-year-old Henry to flee the country. So her son and his uncle Jasper fled England and sought asylum at the court of Francis II, the Duke of Brittany. Now, while here in exile, Jasper and Henry were eventually separated in an attempt to keep them safe from potential kidnappers who actually wanted to expedite both of them back to the court of Edward IV in England, because they're also in line for the throne and rebels and they want to take them out, more or less. Now, up to 1476, Edward kept sending envoys out to acquire Henry and take him back to England. After 1476, though, he changed his tactics and, quote, invited Henry back to England so that he could actually marry him off to a high-ranking Yorkist noblewoman, possibly asking, you know, you know in, in, in hopes maybe uniting both sides. It's not sure whether this was a unsincere or sincere gesture on Edward's part. He was growing old, he was growing sick, but Henry didn't take up the invitation. Edward also told Henry that 
if he would return, he would give him his lands and titles back for the House of Tudor. But if he didn't comply with the invite, he would lose everything. He'd also be disinherited from the throne and have to be exiled permanently. In 1480, still under the care of the Duke of Brittany, Henry was actually moved to Chateau Lermine and Vang and actually reunited with his uncle Jasper, who they'd been about six years apart at this point. In 1483, Edward IV died and his brother, his remaining brother, because the George, George the Duke of Clarence had been executed for treason before this, Richard III, so, or Richard of Gloucester, took the throne and became Richard III. And of course, being unpopular, possibly murdering his nephews, and being a Yorkist, Richard was not liked by many people in the country. <laughs> and as a possible challenge to the throne, many began now looking to Henry Tudor, who's still in exile, as a contender to Richard. During Richard's two years on the throne, many Englishmen who were actually against him, even from the Yorkist side, actually began going to Brittany to form a rebellion with Henry Tudor. At the same time, his mother, who had actually served in the court of Elizabeth Woodville, but was now serving in the court of Queen Anne Neville, began secret negotiations with the Dowager Queen, uh, Dowager Queen Elizabeth for her son, Henry, to marry Elizabeth's daughter, Elizabeth, so also uniting the Yorkists and Lancasters. On October 4th, 1485, Henry set sail for England along with a few thousand of his men. Richard actually had garrisons set up along the country's coastline as sort of a preemptive against a, a possible naval invasion that Henry might attempt. Henry and his men were actually able to navigate around the garrisons and landed on the shores of Pembrokeshire and Wales, his hometown, where Henry had not touched down in England for the last 14 years. And it's said that once he made it to shore, much too unlike that one scene in Robin Hood Men in Tights, it said that overwhelmed with the joy of being back home in his native land, he fell to the, the fell to the ground, kissed the soil beneath his feet, and then praised to God for. A victory. He was able to raise a total of about 500, 5,000 men, and then they marched their way across Wales into England and met Richard's 10,000 men at the at Bosworth Field, which is in Leicestershire, and that the battle was on August 22nd of 1485. And we'll get into that battle in another episode. But Henry won, as we know, and went on to be crowned Henry VII on 30th of October of 1485. On January of 18, 1486, he made good his promise and married Elizabeth of York. They would actually go on to have seven children, four of whom survived to adulthood, Arthur, Mary, Margaret, and Henry. In 1486, the Earl of Lincoln supported an Irish peasant boy whose name was supposedly Lambert Simnel, we actually don't know. And the boy was actually, he was very young, being passed off as the young Earl of Warwick, which is actually the son of George the Duke of Clarence, who was executed for being a traitor. Now, this rebellion was meant to take the throne from Henry, but it was quashed in 1487 at the Battle of Stoke. Simnel was actually pardoned by Henry and made a servant in his kitchen. Because what Henry was really trying to do after get 100 years war and then you had the 30 years of ongoing clashing of cousins England was constantly in, in war for an incredibly long time 
what Henry wanted to do was try to make it as peaceful as possible. So he didn't want to go on making, creating fear. He, he wanted to be merciful, magnanimous. He wanted to make the country rich, but he wanted to be peaceful at the same time. He, he just wanted to end war because they had been going on for way too long. Now, in 1493, another rebellion began, this time by a boy named Perkin Warbeck, who claimed that he was actually the younger of the two princes in the tower, the younger brother Richard. Now, by 1497, Warbeck had actually acquired some powerful allies in Scotland. The Scots actually aligned him with a marriage to Lady Catherine Gordon and even supplied Warbeck with troops, and they marched south into England. On the 5th of October, Warbeck actually cap was captured in battle and then imprisoned in the tower. He was then interrogated and made to sign a confession that his claim to the throne was actually a fraud. And after an attempted escape, he was actually executed in 1499. This very same year, Henry also began sort of adjusting his ruling methods. So as I said, as he was trying to be peaceful and merciful, but he kept having to quash rebellions. So he took a new tactic and would now be fearful and also tax the wealthy in order to fund the country because he was kind of tired of going over parliament to get some money. But it goes a lot more than just that. We'll get into it in the later episode. But Henry was so exacting about creating a wealthier country that at one point, he had both of his hands in the finances of England. In fact, that every entry that was made into the financial ledgers of England for the country through the, the crown, he personally oversaw and signed off himself. Now in November of 1401, he actually saw his son Arthur marry off to Catherine of Aragon. But unfortunately the marriage went only last about six months as Arthur died of some unknown illness. After about a year after Arthur's death, saw the death of Queen Elizabeth of York due to complications of childbirth. And this put Henry into a very serious period of mourning and depression, having now lost both his beloved wife and his beloved son, his firstborn heir. He, he was just absolutely devastated. Later that year, Catherine's parents actually asked for her dowry back which was about 100,000 pounds back then. It was a very big dowry. Now, in an attempt to keep this considerable sum, which was put into the crown's treasury, Henry was actually able to acquire a papal dispensation that would allow his now remaining heir, Henry, to marry Catherine of Aragon. And he spent the next several years doing anything he could. And we'll, again, we'll get into that in a later episode to acquire as much money for the crown as possible. But also after the death of Elizabeth, especially, he just, I wanna say he snapped. What's the best word? He just got really cold. Yeah, well, he basically kind of turned in on himself and just didn't interact much with others. No, he really began alienating everybody around him, including his own son. Once Henry became the only remaining heir, he oversaw everything that Henry did. Henry was no longer able to do jousting, which was considered an extreme sport and could be possibly deadly. 
So Henry Tudor VII did everything in his power to keep his remaining heir, Henry VIII, safe from death. And Henry VIII did not like that. But as most teenagers wouldn't like that anyway. Understatement. <laughs> I don't think a 14-year-old boy wants his father hovering over his shoulder all the time at any time within history. In 1509, Henry VII, health began to fail and he actually went into seclusion. And on the 21st of April, he passed away, having actually ruled for 24 years. Now, his death, however, was kept private for two days and kept a national secret for two days. Now, this was actually to ensure, also with the help of Margaret Beaufort, that Prince Henry would actually be ascended to the throne as Henry VIII, because for the last century, if not more, it's been turmoil to put a king on. No one, there is not, that hadn't been a king at least a hundred years that had ascended to the throne without having to put up a battle or literal battle. So they rushed Henry VIII to Kingston. They rushed Prince Henry to take the crown and put him in place for his coronation before Henry VII's death was made public so that there couldn't be any usurpations or claims to the throne from someone else. And Henry VII was buried in Westminster next to his wife. Also in Westminster, not that far away, was also Margaret Beaufort. For all accounts, also, by the way, Henry VII was said to be an, an incredibly doting and loving parent to all of his children. And also, unlike many other kings before and after, especially after, was so much in love with his wife that after she passed away, he, he neither kept mistresses during their relationship nor had mistresses after and never remarried. Now, actually, going to actually try and talk about Henry VII's marriage to Elizabeth of York, although a good portion of that was covered by Melissa. While Henry's marriage to Elizabeth was a political one, as it brought the House of York and Lancaster together, it did become a marriage of comfort. Some even believe that their marriage did turn into one of love. Those who admired Elizabeth sing of her beauty and her devotion to her husband. And it is also believed that the two, that the two of them would constantly give gifts to the other throughout their marriage. Henry actually gave his love to Elizabeth after she had been loyal and had supported him. And while Queens rarely had anything to do with the political scene, with Henry VII and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was actually allowed to petition the king on the behalf of her servants. And she was even able to handle issues of law on her own. She didn't need Henry. That's something that you don't see or hear of ever in this time. She held quite a bit of power. It is believed that Henry even informed Elizabeth about the impending arrest of her brother-in-law, William Courtenay. Courtenay was charged with treason and placed in the Tower of London. It's believed that Henry told Elizabeth before this happened because she actually took Courtenay's children under her wing 
right before he was arrested. Another moment with, where they express their loyalty and love for each other is upon the death of their eldest son, Arthur. They comforted each other after his death. They were both very distraught. Arthur was the heir to the English crown and throne. They lost, well, while they had Henry, Henry was the backup. That's exactly what he was. He was not trained to be king. Henry was honestly not trained to be the king of England. Arthur was, but by some mishap or chance, Arthur did not live to bear the burden of the crown. And when Elizabeth died, Henry was just destroyed. He was extremely sad. And there was actually a point he locked himself away for a period of time and wouldn't see anyone. And he actually spent a vast amount of money on Elizabeth's funeral. Yeah, and he spent about 3,000 pounds for the time. One of the most lavish funerals for a queen in English history. Exactly. So that's why people think it turned into love. Because he just became a whole separate person after her death. Some, some accounts do say that in public or around his councils or parliament, he was a little more, I don't want to say stoic necessarily. He was, he was more, much more business for sure. And when he was around his family, he was certainly a lot more happy, loving. He was sort of not quite the opposite, but certainly he, he definitely dropped his guard, if you will, when he was around his family. He was much happier as a person when he was around his children. Yes. So our last section here is the interests that led the Tudors into the War of the Roses. As we've mentioned before, you have the Lancasters coming from John of Gaunt, who have a pretty good claim to the throne. You have the Yorkists coming from, from the youngest son of Edward III, also with a fairly good claim to the throne. The Tudors have a, not by much of a claim to the throne, to be honest, but because they were related to the Lancastrian side, it put them in the line of succession. And with most of the country by the certain point within War of the Roses, not liking the Yorkist side, they took up with the Lancasters. And once Henry VI was actually executed, next in line was Henry Tudor. So that's kind of really where that goes. It's there's not too much that led them into the war. It's just that they were blood related on the Lancastrian side as cousins. I don't know that anything really would have gone as far as it did without Margaret though. It wouldn't have. She pushed everything through. Without her, I don't think Henry VII would have ever even made it to the throne. I don't, well, not even just that. Without Henry VII, England wouldn't have been what it became throughout the Tudor dynasty. Anyway, if to a certain degree, if Henry hadn't really resorted to his more business side after the mourning and devastation of his loss of his family and did everything he could to tax the, the wealthy 
in order to raise more money for the crown and treasury, Henry VIII would not have had as much money in his control. And he likely would not have been what we remember him for outside of his divorces and marriages. But it almost never even happened. Henry Tudor beat the odds on a whole lot of things in order to make it that far. Not only was his mother a petite 13 year old giving birth that also led to later complications of her health because she never gave birth to another child. But Henry the Tudor, Henry the Seventh was also possibly a little premature. So back then he beat the odds just by birth with that. And then he was related to the Lancastrians. The Yorks were in power, then the Lancastrians, then the Yorks, and then the Lancastrians. And then he was in exile and the Yorks tried to extradite him and people tried to kidnap him and then people tried to kill him. And then he's fighting in the field and he's fighting against King Richard. He beat every odd of actually ascending to the throne. The only person that believed he would actually be able to do it was his mother. But there's, there's not too much in the way of the Tudor's interests because they didn't have anywhere near as a actual legitimate claim to the throne. It wasn't actually until Henry married Elizabeth of York that he could actually have a more legitimate claim to the throne. And then of course, after Arthur was born, that just cemented everything. Arthur's birth, birth, wow. Arthur's birth was basically a miracle for them in that sense that it solidified their claim to the throne. There would be another tutor to rule after Henry VII. And then the birth of Henry, the younger son, who would be known later as Henry VIII, was just an extra miracle for them. Mm-hmm. They had two heirs now rather than just one, just in case. But I mean, they really wanted Arthur to live. Well, you always try to have an heir and a spare anyway. And Henry truly was the spare. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for England after Arthur's death. Well, I mean, we can always get into it in a much later episode. But for the most, for for, it's kind of like Caligula. (laughs) Based on accounts both of their reigns were fairly prosperous for a certain period until they both suffered a pretty bad illness slash injury which sort of messed up with their brain and then things took a much more bad turn for the worse if you will well henry just also was not trained to be king well i think for henry it was a lot of things he wasn't trained to be king he spent a lot of his childhood kind of, I would say, completely doing what he was, what he wanted to do, but he, he was given a lot of freedom and a lot of reign because he was the spare. So if he wanted to go and participate in deadly jousting tournaments, he was allowed to do so because he was the spare. And when you spend a good deal of your childhood having that much freedom, and then all of a sudden you are now the future king and you're only 16 15, 16 at this point, had you spent the last 10 years at least having pretty good freedom to run around and do what you want, and now your dad is hovering over your shoulder, making sure that you stay safe at all costs because you need to ascend to the throne, you're, you're going to have some trauma there. 
Oh yeah, I'm not saying Henry didn't. Henry did not have trauma. He absolutely did, especially with the way his father controlled his life after Arthur and Elizabeth's death. But it just made it worse that he wasn't taught how to be a king. He wasn't taught how to interact. He wasn't taught the diplomatic uh, pieces or parts or diplomatic negotiations. He wasn't taught any of that, even after Arthur's death. See, I, th I think when it comes to Henry VII, so Arthur died in 1502 at around 1516. What they ought to have been doing is after Arthur's death, they really should have, if they hadn't, I don't know if they did, should have started schooling Henry and how to be king because obviously he's next in line. Now, what Elizabeth and, and Henry Tudor VII uh, both did, it was just like, honey, I, 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 it's terrible. We've, we've lost Arthur, but we're both young. We can still have more kids, which is how she also ended up dying in childbirth. And now you've got Henry VII having lost both two people that were incredibly close to him and dear to him, that he's just sort of gone off the depression deep end. Yeah, he's just not mentally there either. No. So at that point, and that was only a year or so, just under a year after Arthur died. So by the time Elizabeth had her funeral, Henry was just kind of, he, he did sort of school him in a bit. But I just don't think he was there physically and mentally enough to train him in the ways of how a king needs to be. You're probably right. But that's all I've got on the Tudors. All righty. Also, I will say this. For Margaret Beaufort, she's part French and part Welsh. She's fiery. <laughs> don't mess with Margaret Beaufort. Don't mess with Matilda either. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Ending on a fun note. Who, oh my God, we should put it out as a poll. Who do you think is the worst mother in history, Matilda or Margaret? Oh, in my opinion, Matilda. Matilda. Oh yeah. <laughs> like no questions about that. Oh no, Matilda was far worse. <laughs> Who was more overbearing? Nope, still Matilda. Oh yeah, well, Matilda. Who was more power hungry? Oh, that's a good question though. Which one was more power hungry? Was still Matilda? Oh, Matilda. Absolutely. We'd have to do a whole episode on Matilda for everyone to understand what we're talking about. We had we, could we, do. we had written down at one point a three-part series about Matilda. And we should probably do that another time. Right now we're on this we, series. Yeah, yeah, maybe later in the year or something. Yeah, but I still think we should put that poll up just for fun. Who do you think is the over, more overbearing mother? <laughs> I think maybe after we do the Matilda series, we should put that poll up so that people know what we're talking about then. That's fair. But look for that poll in the future <laughs> <laughs> because we will be putting it up. I've made a note. Okay. But for now, we are done with the Tudors. You have heard all about the Tudors in the Wars of the Roses portion. Well, except for the very last episode, but yes. Yes, but we're talking about the lead up to the Wars of the Roses. Yeah, this is, this is our overview of the Tudor family. Yeah. 
So now you've heard Lancasters, you've heard about the Yorks, and now you've heard about the overview of the Tudors. So what are we getting into next episode? Our next episode, oh, that's a really good question. Hold on. We're going over every battle in yes. 30 years. <laughs> well, we'll be going over every single battle or major turning point that occurred in the Wars of the Roses. Be prepared. It's going to be long. We hope you have every name we've mentioned in these last three episodes memorized because there will be a test. Of <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Even I still get them confused. So I was literally, I watched a video. It's in my, my source notes, which I do recommend checking out about Henry VII. But I was reading some of the comments at the bottom because there's some conflicting thoughts on how people view Henry VII. And one, the, one of the comments was, I'm so confused. There were so many Henrys, Richards, <laughs> and, and Edwards. I'm like, I have lost. I'm like, yeah, welcome to the War of the Roses. There you go. Yes. That, that's throughout time, though. And, William. and then, it, then, then the more famous names became William and George. George the first, George the second, George the third, George the fourth. Don't forget the, all the Louis, the France. <laughs> we haven't gotten into that at any point. We're just talking English crimes. But when you get to Edward and George's, Edward, George's, and William's for the English crowns. And know. Charles. There's only, wait. There's a couple of Charles. Charles. It's not like extremely popular. Oh, the stewards. Right? Yeah, there were only two. Yeah. And there was about 20 years difference between the two of them. That's true. And then James <laughs> in the Stuart. Yeah, but that's a whole different dynasty, sort of. Sort of but not really because it connects with the Tudor line. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just talking specifically the English crown, not the Tudors joining the English crown. And I'm not talking about the- uh, I'm just the, talking the, in general, all the names that were repeated in English and French history. How many Edwards and Henrys have there been? A ton. At least eight Henrys. And Georges. There, I think there's six Georges, eight Henrys. I don't know how many Richards. Only three. Three. Not Richard. Um, Edward. Seven. Is there seven? Uh, it's just never ending. I don't remember. No, I don't there's Edward, Edward the sixth was Henry the eighth's son, and Edward the seventh was the one that abdicated. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then George the sixth with his brother. No, wait, his father. And then George the seventh was his brother. Wait, Elizabeth's mom, uh, Elizabeth's dad, I forget. Is that George the second? George the sixth was Elizabeth's father. Queen Elizabeth's father okay. was George the Yeah, so six Georges, seven Edwards, and eight. Oh, no, there's eight Edwards. There's just, he just didn't become king. Edward the eighth is her brother. Oh, the second's brother is an is one of them is an Edward, one of them is a George, one of them is a Henry, and another is John. They weren't crowned king. I'm not going with it. Yes, I know, but they existed. There's still Edwards in the royal lineage. Oh, of course, but yeah, a lot of Edward, George, and Henrys. It's just never ending with them. But next, tune in in a couple of weeks and we'll have all the battles laid out for you 
And tune in in the in-between weeks and we'll have some weird history for fun. Yay! They're always fun. <laughs> well, I think that'll do for this episode of History Explains It All. I think it's gone on long enough. Our I think last so one too. was about an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> You can find us or contact us through our email at historyexplainsall at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook and Instagram pages at historyexplainsall underscore podcast. Uh, visit our Instagram page for our Today in History segment or an Archaeology in the News segment. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. One was just posted on the day we're recording this. Go, go check it out. And also check out our Instagram where we put up polls for upcoming episode topics where you get to vote for them. Your choice. We like to hear what you think. Give us a rate and review if you can. We want to know what you think as well as it helps people, other people find us. We'd appreciate that so much. And we hope to see you next week as we trek through history to Explain it all. Explain it all. We're never going to get this right. (laughs) Bye. Okay, I guess I'm finishing it. And we hope to see you next week as we trek through history too. <laughs> well, this is just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you tired too? No. I'm, I'm running on the last bits of adrenaline I have right now. <laughs> well, let's end this off in one, two, Three eggs. Oh, that's right. You, uh, you just lead it up again. I lost it. <laughs>